podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite Wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. The boys are back, and this is a show that I think has been in the making ever since we launched the podcast. And, you know, about 12 minutes before every football kickoff, I, I, I tweet something out, but we'll get into that a little bit later. My guest today is someone who I've known, at least in my head, it's been since I think 2012, but we might be talking a little bit later. He might have a story about us meeting before that. Uh, it's probably my favorite, uh, you know, socialist to hang or to talk to on Twitter. I'm just kidding. He's a great guy. He was the 2014 most inspirational member of the Pride of Wildcat Land. And he is, I, I think, legitimately probably one of the most interesting people I've had the pleasure of ever meeting in my life. He made college more fun. He made random Tuesday nights in the Legends Room and Bramlage more fun. That's my friend, Ross Jenspe. Ross, how are you doing, my friend? Good to be with you, Scott. Um, I have to say it's an honor to be a guest on what I can only assume is the last episode of Bosco's Boys uh, for uh, <laughs> bringing me on to talk about Wildcat March. I can't imagine there's anything else left to do after this. Yeah, you know, it's it, we'll, we'll touch on Wildcat March at the end and We'll talk about the band, it, and it really is, it, it might be the last one. The, the end of the world might be coming. Um, you know, we'll, we'll touch on, this is the 90th anniversary of Wildcat March. Wildcat March Day was uh, May 19th. We're recording this on May 17th, so just in case any crazy K-State news pops up that forces me to, like, talk about, like, breaking news between it gets delayed. We're recording this on May 17th, uh, and this is a lot of fun. I, th- I think... Our back and forth, this is something that folks were anticipating for a while. I think a lot of folks who know us both will get a kick out of this show. Um, but before we get much further, you, you prompted me to get a beer of the pod, but you said you had one as well. So I first want to know your beer. Of the pod. Uh, yeah, I was going to be offended if we weren't having a beer together. Uh, we weren't able to get this uh, done in person, but I think we're going to catch up next week sometime. Yeah. Uh, my beer of the pod is uh, Alma Mater Brewing's Conjunction Kolsch. Uh, Alma Mater Brewing on Southwest Boulevard. Uh, so it's near the roastery. Um, Scott, I'm going to encourage, let's meet up there next week when we get together. Dude, I, I'm all for it. I have not had any of their beers because props to them. They opened up like short, like they just started hitting their stride right before the pandemic hit. They kept going, doing beer to go, and I saw that they just now reopened their tap room. So I am 100% down. Uh, let's get beers there. And I have a couple friends who are obsessed with their stuff. And honestly, it's shame on me not getting some to go before this, but I am all on uh, meeting up there. Um, I'm drinking, just because it was down in my fridge, I have uh, from the Boulevard uh, Wheat Sampler Collection, the Boulevard Wheat Grapefruit, which I like, you know, it's not quite summery. It's very spring storms outside. 
but I like it. But I do have some beef with Boulevard because I know they listen to this. The sampler I picked up was supposed to have three kiwi, three grapefruit, three regular, three dry hop. They gave me five dry hop and only one kiwi. So I actually might be boycotting Boulevard from now on. Yeah, that, that sometimes happens. I do kind of break it. That happens. Um, but yeah, so that's Beer of the Pod. And uh, let, let's get into it. First, like just some background between you and I's relationship. I at least remember, because we were talking about this before we hit record, uh, really starting to interact with you a lot. We were both on this like K-State Student Advisory Council to the Athletic Department. Um, I think what, at least for me, it was my sophomore, junior, and senior year. I can't remember if you were a year old or yeah. a year younger than yeah, me. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, K-State Athletic Student Advisory Group or something like that. Um, just basically a focus group that the athletics got together to like make sure their ideas weren't awful. And I would proud to say we shot down some awful ideas that they had uh, back in the day. Um, if anybody remembers, I think it was at the Auburn game, they tried to uh, release the purple power on either side of the stadium. And after that, uh, Scott and I were both like really heavily heavy handed shot that down in the next focus group. Yeah, we, we were not about that. And then uh, I know you were also in student government, but I think student government tried to take uh, credit for the KU lineup procedure that we were a part of in creating in that group as well after a disastrous uh, KU lineup group in I think 2011 or 2010. So I think you guys, you know, SGA tried to take credit for that, but I think it, it was sprouted out of that group. So I guess like around the, you know, 2012 to 2014, any major successes that were associated with the athletic department, you can credit to Scott and I for being on the uh, K-State Athletic Student Advisory Team. Well, and I, you know, again, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but, you know, once we left and our ideas dried up, student attendance has kind of dwindled a little bit. So I, again, I don't want to be too self-important, but I mean, correlation, correlation, I don't know. I highly doubt anybody from the athletics department regularly listens to this podcast, but if they are, Actually, uh, you would be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Scott and I are willing to come back on a uh, consultant basis to help out with some ideation. Yes. And you guys don't even have to give me credit because I know, uh, I know that might, might cause a storm a little bit. Actually, you'd be surprised. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, let you know when, when people start DMing me after listening. Um, and, and because of that, I need to give a shout out to, Scott Garrett, Adam Pro, those were the two dudes who really spearheaded that while we were in school. I need to get Scott Garrett on. He was, he's the reason why Cleveland State was my NCAA tournament team, but his uh, Vikings really uh, let me down. So, all right, that's how I remember our interactions. But I think you were saying that there might have been some interactions before that group. Well, it's hard for me to remember exactly. I mean, I wrote down, I was going to ask you if you could pinpoint when you think we met. Um, we've known each other for a long time. And I think it's just those vocal fans tend to be drawn together. I think that's kind of how you and Grant uh, got connected. Um, well, we went to high school together. We hated each other back then. But. Well, I know, but K-State brings people together. Uh, <laughs> it does. And it does. Uh, uh, so I think, I mean, like we sat near each other for a lot of K-State basketball games before we were really aware of each other. And uh, if anybody knew you back then, you were a presence in Bramlage. Uh, so uh, I feel like a lot of people probably felt like they knew you, but uh, didn't. I didn't get to really know you until we were together on that athletics advisory group. 
Yeah, no, I, I had a great time in Bramlage and, and, and especially once you become aware of people, I would see you and I think Andy as well at, you know, almost every basketball game. And I was lucky enough to sit behind him uh, for a few years in Bramlage with the young alumni discount. And if I was going to say one thing to the athletic department, I'd say make young alumni like 10 years after graduation. Oh yeah. You could get people for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I went to a ton of games with uh, Andy Bladner and Michael Murray was also in the mix. I think you went to high school with him too. Yep, love Michael Murray. He's my sports gambling guy. I, before that just collapsed. I mean, I'm not going to get started on state government, but I mean, they're only working for like two months out of the year. Give me a break with this. Oh, the session's done with no sports gambling. But at some point I'm going to get Michael on or probably try to convince him to uh, let me talk to some politicians to give them a piece of my mind when it comes to sports gambling. But love Michael, love all those guys. And it, it really does show that, yes, K-State, you know, big school when you think about it. Uh, but circles are small and passions draw each other or draw people together. And I, I think, you know, that shared passion for K-State sports basically can span almost any other disagreement because I don't think we agree on much outside of wanting the Wildcats to win. Yeah, I would say that I've uh, generally been a pretty antagonistic presence in your DMs, but uh, uh but <laughs> yeah, K-State has brought us together um, and we've developed over the years a begrudging respect for one another. That's how I describe it. <laughs> I, I, th I think that's a good one. Um, I think, and you brought this up and, it, and it's accurate and it's, and it's fitting right as the world is starting to open up, you know, CDC saying, hey, if, you, if you've been vaccinated, you can, you know, go places without masks, the talk of full stadiums, all this type of stuff. The last live sporting event and i'm glad we're doing this now instead of in a couple of weeks but the last live sporting event that didn't have a single attendance cap didn't have any mass mandates any of that in kansas city where we both live in the greater metropolitan area was the k-state tcu game and i've touched on that quite a bit actually on the show and i went my my uh you know my return to going to live sporting events actually was the k-state tcu game in the now t-mobile center um, for some like a nice little poetic circle but that was the last time you and I saw each other what do you remember from that game and do you recall the conversations we had while we both were waiting for an Uber I mean that was just a crazy night because while we were at that game uh, the world was shutting down around us and um, it's hard for me to remember the exact timeline but I mean the NBA was like close to canceling their entire season and uh, it just felt like uh, things were not going to be the same after this. And I, it will be, it was really good to get the last win of college basketball of that season. Uh, so I know that like K-State went out on top for that season. We were not going to the uh, NCAA tournament that year, but uh, we well, did get, we could have won the, we could have won the big 12 tournament. You don't know that. <laughs> All right. That's, that's fair. That's, that's totally fair. But uh, yeah, I guess I have the dubious honor of uh, saying that one of the last people I saw in the old world was Scott McFarland at uh, the standing outside the Sprint Center waiting for an Uber before we all went our separate ways into the pandemic life. But uh, I, I, hard for me to remember. I mean, I'm sure we were just catching up, uh, checking in, seeing how each other were doing. And uh, I don't think we were talking about what was next for the cats because it didn't seem like there was going to be anything next for the cats. Yeah, I think I, I recall like asking, well, wh what do you think is going to happen? And I think I might have said something like, man, th this might be a little much. I, I, things probably should be back to normal in two, three weeks is what I, I, 
if I'm if my memory serves me correctly is what I said. But again, I Ubered down there for a reason. I think I had a beer or two inside the I I think it was still the Sprint Center at that point. But um, so I, I can't be 100% sure what I said, but it, but it is wild to think back in that moment, people congregating, Ubers just like coming and picking people up, you know, close quarters, not thinking anything of it. And, you know, now I think some folks are probably never going to go back to interacting the way they used to. Oh, for sure. I bet we don't see a sporting event for years where someone's not wearing a mask. Yeah, I, I think though, at least be, there, there will be people, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to adhere to whatever the stadium say. I'm probably going to keep a mask in my pocket probably for years upon years because, again, you know, I'm not trying to make someone feel uncomfortable. If they want me to wear a mask, I'll throw it on. No big deal for me. But um, it, it is crazy. But before we get into the reason why we brought you on, again, I, I've talked about it on the show and what we're going to talk about live on Thursday on the Locker Room app in honor of this show is K-State traditions. What do you guys like? What do you guys miss? What do you want to see come back? What is something you'd like to see? Because on the Locker Room app, it is free to download unless you have Android because I you know, I think you're an Android guy and you haven't been able to join us. But if you have I, Apple, Yeah, the, the only way I was getting on this podcast was if I literally got my own episode since I'm an Android guy. <laughs> well, I, it's going to be coming and, and we'll let, let you guys know. But uh, every Thursday, 7 p.m., we go live. And it's not only us, but if you're a fan of The Ringer, all of their personalities are over on Locker Room. I've talked to... MLS and NBA players because they just started rooms. It is the best way to talk to uh, different athletes, different journalists, and just have fun over on the Locker Room app. We're going live 7 p.m. Also a great podcast that I love. And again, this is this really has gotten me more in tune with the NBA, especially with the playoffs heating up. Sport, sports culture takes, Takeline has it all. Takeline is a weekly podcast by an Emmy winner by the name of Jason now, former WNBA champion, Renee Montgomery, it's a fast-paced exploration of the NBA and the world of sports and culture. Each week, Jason and Renee will talk about the games, players, controversies, and all the issues that run both on and off the court. Follow now to hear Take Line every Tuesday where you get your podcast. All right. So before we talk about Wildcat March, which, again, is where you and I have an adversarial uh, relationship. I do want to take a, t- a minute to talk to you, you know, a, a former most inspirational band guy um, to talk about the Pride of Wildcat Land, the band at K-State, because I, I think that sometimes because of my opinion of Wildcat March and then just liking to poke at, you know, stuff on Twitter, I, I almost get a reputation of being an anti-band guy. But I think that K-State's band, I get a bit bigger appreciation for the Pride every single time. I go to an away game and see other folks marching bands. And I, and I think that even if you're not into marching bands, I think go to an away football game, you'll come away thinking, okay, K-State has one of the best in the Big 12. So walk me through what it was like. Were you always a band guy? Did you know, hey, I'm going to K-State, I want to march? Or what was your journey into that world like? Yeah, so I feel like pretty common uh, K-State fan experience. I grew up in the 90s going to football games with my grandpa and uh, always sat. We had season tickets in the south end zone and I grew up watching the band, always loved it. When I was in middle school, I actually was a trumpet player, switched to the tuba because I thought it might help me uh, 
have a better chance of getting into the K-State marching band. There's a lot of, uh, tr- a lot of trumpet competition, not so much tuba competition. Um, so played the tuba through high school and, uh, uh, gotta say like, I wasn't going to college to be in the K-State marching band, but I didn't apply to any other colleges because I wanted to be in the K-State marching band. I only school I applied to got accepted and, uh, I guess the rest is history. Um, and what's uh, one of the most unique experiences is a, that's pregame as a tradition is exactly the same that it was in the 90s when I was growing up. And that's including Wildcat March. So I uh, grew up watching it and then got to participate in it for five years in college. And that was just a dream come true. Definitely. So I think one thing I'm interested in, because, again, I wasn't in the band I've known some band people. I don't think I've ever asked anyone this. What is it about Frank Trace that almost induces a cult-like followership? I'm I'm not going to try to minimize his impact or anything, but I've never seen someone who has ever been involved in the band who will say anything bad about him. And I I've I've never seen so many folks drawn to a leader like that. So what was it about him? that was able to inspire such loyalty and passion from a a massive group of college students. Dr. Frank Trace is one of the most decent men I have ever encountered in my entire life. And he, I'm not big on cults. I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. So I have some, I have some, uh, I have got some critical feedback for the band in general that I'd be happy to share. Uh, but uh, Dr. Trace is uh, one of the professors in college that taught me the most that has transferred over to my professional life. And I don't do anything related to music uh, in my professional career. He I think uh, he pushes people to be their absolute best selves. And he understands that uh, um, no matter what you do in life, you better leave it better than you found it. I mean, he has got all these mantras that he leaves with people and you'll just be repeating them the rest of your life. Leave things better than you found it is one of his core messages. He also maintains that uh, everybody is a teacher, no matter if you go to school for that or not whatever you do the rest of your life, you're going to be teaching other people. And uh, he firmly believes uh, um, that that is the best way to approach your work. Something else I respect about him is uh, he doesn't care about talent. He really embodies the do more with uh, less mentality that is really K-State. He always says that he would take a kid with dirt under their fingernails a hundred times uh, over some talented kid because he knows that the kid with dirt under their finger t- fingernails knows how to work. And uh, he just instills a, um, a work ethic in his students that I think really helps people succeed and teaches some lessons that you don't get in the classroom and other places at K-State. Definitely. So one of my favorite things when I was a student and, and it involved the band, especially when we, when we were in school, football team really was up and running you know 2010 you get back to a bowl game then you have those magical years in 2011 2012 and even 2013 for me my senior year you know kind of want to put turn your nose up but then again it was like an eight win season nine win season you had a great year one of the memories I would always have is right it's before you guys would even take the field something I love the most about the band you, you get right in front of the student section 
and it's the slow, quiet fight song, and then it just erupts, just blasting right into the student section. That is my favorite thing that the band did. You got to be part of, you know, all those game day traditions surrounding the band. What is the one on game day that you still get goosebumps when you're back, you know, in there? If you're talking to one of your fellow band folks that you get goosebumps when you go back and think, okay, we got to do that, you know, eight, seven, eight Sunday or Saturdays in the fall. Yeah. Um, what you're referring to, and I, I, on a recent podcast episode, you asked some of your guests about that, uh, what their favorite band traditions were. Uh, people didn't really know how to describe it. It's called soft and strong, uh, for, uh, we play the fight song real like soft, and then you like really hit it hard for the students. Um, so that's called soft and strong for anybody that's interested. Um, the, there are too many, uh, memories to like think of. I'll, I'll try and hit a few uh, that most people probably don't know about. Um, before we march into the stadium, we're down in the indoor football facility. That's where we stage out of. And uh, there's this moment where we get done warming up. Every section warms up as a group. And then we come back together uh, as a band. And you put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you. And uh, the drum majors uh, say something and Dr. Trace gives a message to the entire band about, uh, you know, just what, what we want to accomplish that day. And you really do feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself. Of course, then you get a march into the stadium and uh, there's a tradition that the tubas do. I was a sousaphone player. Uh, I was offended to hear that you thought I might've been a trombone player for a hot second. And no. I, uh, that you I, could not have I insulted me myself, more. Right? You did I, correct I yourself. It, okay, good, good, good. Uh, you could not have insulted me more for comparing me to a trombone player, but uh, um, the uh, sousaphone players all, uh, when we march in front of the Bill Snyder statue, we uh, put our tubas up on our shoulder in the position called DeLorean so it looks like the door of a DeLorean flipping up and that's like we uh we do it right in front of the Bill Snyder statue um you know I'm speaking a few years out so I'm not sure that this is still something they do it'd be hard to imagine they don't do it anymore uh as an as an homage to coach Snyder um there's also a tradition on the north side of the stadium where uh the tubas and drumline have to march from the back of the band through the band to get to the front. So it's from, it's a, it's a lasting thing from when the tubas and sousaphones or the tubas and drumline used to march around the infield of the stadium. We did it the last time in 2010, our freshman year, Scott, we don't do it anymore because of the pregame rituals, timelines from athletics have gone real rigid, uh, not like they used to be, but so uh, there's this real, uh, cool moment if you're ever in the north side of the stadium in front of the football facility before the band goes in where the tubas and drumline march through the rest of the band to get to the front and it's just like the entire band tries to make them laugh <laughs> and uh the tubas like just like stone-faced like serious like do not crack like if you crack it's the worst thing you could do uh there's just all kinds of traditions like this that uh, most people don't know about unless you're like really like watching what the band does uh you know hour by hour on game day no definitely and i, I love getting kind of a peek into that because uh, again i would have wouldn't have any idea and again as, as much as i like to joke I, I like to think i uh can pick up on stuff you know i i know the the band you know pregame i i know exactly hey 
you guys come on to this. I know, you know, the order of everything. So I would, I would never be able to pick that out. So I, I appreciate you sharing that with me. Before we continue to get on into some of it, I can't, I can't remember, were you part of the band for the infamous, uh, you know, Dick and Jayhawk mouth or was that the year after? All right. I have thoughts. It was my, it was after my last year, but um, first of all, uh, I know that some of your criticism of the band in the past has been about, you know, they're kind of tend to be gatekeepers of what fanhood looks like for K-State. Uh, I disagree with that. I don't, I was never that way. Maybe others are, um, but. Well, my Twitter mentions anytime I, I try to say something would, would beg to differ, but I mean, continue. <laughs> I, uh, I'm happy for anybody that wants to add something newer and weirder weirder to uh k-state athletic fanhood uh that's the only way we get stuff like fill the bobcat like you know if we like the weirder we can get the better because if you go to other schools a lot of the stuff we do you know you got to get creative because a lot of stuff is pretty similar to what happens at other schools so the more weird we can make our fanhood the better on the topic of the uh enterprise formation um I maintain that there should have been absolutely no punishment there at all. That was just a poor, the, if you're going to say anything about it, it was just that the band did not perform the set like they should have. The, uh, they right, just so time didn't. Out. Is it time out, time out. Are you, are you sitting here and saying that they screwed it up and it wasn't supposed to be a dick going into the Jayhawk now? I have seen the set sheet and the formation was just not performed the way it should have been to really look like the Starship Enterprise. Was that if you on have purpose? A, was that on purpose? I, if it was, act of genius. I will not say if it was or not, but if it was, act of genius. Um, I will say this, uh, because I like to, you know stir things up a little bit the year after this happened i we played stanford as our season opener do you remember that game yeah i was there are you familiar with the stanford band at all they have yeah, this weird thing why they're wacky as all hell yeah they have no like structure no teachers no instructors it's like student-led um i got my hands on the set sheet for the starship enterprise set and the jayhawk set and i sent it to the stanford band hoping that they would uh, decide to perform it during their halftime show, because that's exactly the kind of crap those people are into. Uh, and they, they replied to me and told me that they were happy. Like this was a really funny idea, but they didn't want to offend any Star Trek fans. So they decided not to go forward with it. Well, so I was disappointed when we went because it actually wasn't the full Stanford band experience because uh, again, it's like, oh, you know, you, you hear about the wacky antics. Well, it, it's because they're on like a like period system or not a semester. So when K-State was there, Stanford actually wasn't in uh, term, whatever. Like their students weren't there. So it was like 12 people from the band. And it actually was one of the most sterile uh, football environments I've ever been to. So uh, you know, shame on the Stanford band. I know, I know the pride, even, even if you guys are on break, you guys would have been back. Well, as long as we're throwing around shame, uh, well, Dr. Trace, Dr. Trace did absolutely nothing wrong, uh, except maybe the band needed a couple more runs at that set, uh, to make it absolutely perfect. And he shouldn't shame on anybody in the athletics department who made him, uh, stay home from that KU football game later I, that season. I don't think that was athletics. I think that was Kirk Schultz. Um, so I think Kirk and Noel were the ones who made that call. I don't, I don't think that was a, a John Curry decision. 
But, you know, we'll, we'll move on from that. I am not going to relitigate all my feelings about Kirk and John Noel at this time. That might be a, that might be a future podcast. So um, of, of the mainstays that, you know, all, all the Wildcat fans know, you know, Wabash, the fight song, um, just through the, you know, in the stadium and then on the field pregame, which is the one where it's where you love to perform the most. All right. So, and it can I be got, Wildcat March. I won't cut you off. You're already on the show, but <laughs> yeah, man, at this point, it'd be pretty ridiculous to cut me off. Uh, I have to say, like, I love Wildcat March as a sousaphone player. That song kicks, it is awesome. And uh, something that there's another thing a lot of people don't notice or people don't talk about is the tuba T during Wildcat March. Uh, there's a specific part during the song where the tubas make the T in K-State and they like march down the field and they form it. It's they're like, they're the people that are moving the most right in to form that T center field. And there's a place of honor that a lot of people also don't know about, which is when you're the tuba that gets to lead the T down the field, it's, it's often a senior, uh, the senior um, or section leader who gets to lead that tee because it's a pretty hard set to hit. You have to really stride out, hit it and like move pretty fast to get from your previous set to the hit that mark in time. And that was one of my most like, I, one of the things I'm the most proud of is that I was the, I got to lead the tuba T my senior, senior year. So uh, maybe I'll post a video or something of that on, on social so people can really like get a look at it. I don't think a lot of people talk about it or notice it. I mean, everybody talks about how at Ohio State, the tuba dots the eye, you know, but no one really talks about this at K-State. Pretty cool thing, but not my favorite song. It's going to seem pretty lame, but nothing compares to that first time uh, you march down the field for Wildcat uh, victory right at the beginning of pregame. Uh, you're high-stepping, the entire band, like, uh, does like the weird like thing where they fold out and you really see how big the band is and the tubas have been back there um, flipping their tubas up as hard as they can you know and then right after that you still are expected to play full on as loud as you can it's a real um, <laughs> it's probably how I kept in shape in college yeah but uh, sounds like I need to get get in the band <laughs> uh I have a really distinct memory from this. My first football game ever, I was nervous as hell, you know, and uh, I was standing right next to my section leader, Dane Sargent, and we did the whole thing, you know, flip your tube up, Wabash style for the entire time as the rest of the band is marching out. And then Wildcat victory down the field and then get to your first set. And when we hit our first set after marching down the field and backwards marching to hit it, uh, he was throwing up out of, like he had played so hard, he was throwing up on the field. And I was like, you know, scared freshman. It's my first pregame. And he looks over at me and he just like, I'll never forget it. Stone Cold stares me in the eyes and he just screams at me, keep playing. Like he was mad at me for like stopping to see if he was okay. <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget that moment. Yeah, that, that's awesome. All right. Fi final thing. We'll have two questions before we kind of get into uh, the reason for the season. What was your favorite halftime show that you guys did? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I can tell you which one is not my favorite halftime show. It was Les Miserables because we played it 17 times and never like did any new shows. So that one really wore itself out. Um, the My favorite halftime show. 
This is going to sound really cliche, but I always super liked uh, the Fort Riley Day show where you play all the different um, songs from all the military branches. And we did one one year, which was really cool, where uh, you got to um, we like put a tank together and the, you know, the wheels of the tank rotated and we did an airplane and we like did fire extinguishers out the back of the plane. So it's like jets. And uh, we did a submarine for the Navy below and there's a ship on the top. And I think that was one of my favorite shows. Cause it was like one of the most unique, like structures of sets that we did uh, like give motion and vision to what the show was about. So yeah, I think the Fort Riley day show was always really cool. It also feels really good to uh, play the stars and stripes forever and make a flag on the field that actually waves. Like that's always pretty cool. Yep. So I like, cause there's two more things. Um, the, the one before the, the final, before, like I said, we get into the reason for the season. Um, the, the band, when, when the new veneer, veneer 2.0, the North end zone stadium structure, they had a section specifically built for the band. They, they took them to place of Q6. They got that nice, awesome sign, all that type of stuff. The band is going back to, uh, you know, their homeland, Section 26, correct? Yeah, that's what I hear. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so, so real quick on that. So as a former band person, because you didn't get to uh, get be in that specific spot, and then I think I, I have it on pretty good authority that they're moving back due to lack of uh, student ticket sales, which – Hey, different generations. I, I understand it. Yada yada yada. It's more of a visual type thing, which I th I think it'll look a lot better. But what it, what was your opinion? A when you first heard about the move out of the student section to a specific uh, spot in the stadium built for you guys, and then what what is your thoughts as an alum that they are now going back into the student section? Yeah, and I actually think that I heard from you that the real reason was a lack of student attendance, which I thought was interesting. But my first instinct was, I'm skeptical. There's always another reason for athletics doing something than what the real reason is that they put out there. Um, I've learned that the hard way over the years, you know, being involved with a student athletic advisory board or just being a fan and um, I was like initially skeptical. Like I was like, okay, cool. Well, the band gets to go back, but it seems like they probably just want to do something cool with that corner section, you know, revenue wise. I get it. It doesn't make, it, like, it doesn't make fans feel good, but it's always like revenue based. Um, and then I heard from you, oh, it's really about lack of student attendance. The history here was that, you know, in the nineties, uh, when we were really uh, powerhouse football team, uh, the band used to be on the 50 yard line and you'll have to fact check me on this. I've heard that there were complaints to the big 12 that the band was on the 50 and like in timeouts, they would really intentionally target the other team huddles and they'd have like a really good access to wherever they were on the field from the 50. And so they actually changed their rules so that we would like be, have to move over a section. So the band couldn't be on the 50 yard line. I think, I don't think they would give a band 50 yard line tickets anymore. Like they would not give those seats up for people that would pay money to sit there. Um, earlier, you asked me about Dr. Trace's cult-like persona. He does what he does with what he gets. He does less with more. But I will say this. The one disappointment for me is that when we were in Section 26, uh, the um, 
The tubas always have to stand in the aisles. There are too many tubas in the band to actually fit the, fit the section. And when they got the new section, the tubas still didn't have enough room in the band. So that was always something that I like really ate at me. I was like, we really got a brand new section for the band and there's still not enough room for the tubas. So um, I'm just, I want what's best for the band. Whatever Dr. Trace thinks is best for the band. I support that. Uh, but I will always think there needs to be enough room for the tubas. That will always be my main policy here. <laughs> I love it. And then just before we, we talk about Wildcat March, what is, what do you want to see in the future for K-State's band? What, what do you want to see on the horizon? What do you, if anything, do you want to see something change besides the tubas? I, I'm interested because I think a lot of folks outside of band, like, you know, have different opinions, you know, but someone who is so passionate about it, I, I want to know, do you want anything to change? If, if, if everything stayed the same the rest of the time, would you be happy with that? Or what would you like to see? Two things. I want more scholarships for band kids because they give a lot to the university and they give a lot of time and it's just because they love the university. Um, everybody that has ever been in the band deserves a scholarship. And I think that's getting better, but uh, that's something I would really want to advocate for. Um, if you have some money and you love the band, consider uh, setting up a scholarship. Second, uh, they need a band hall. They need a place that's uh, outside of McCain Auditorium that ha it's, a, it's an appropriate facility for storing all of the instruments, making sure all the gear is like, accessible and easily maintained. A lot of people don't know McCain Auditorium is where the band uh, stations out of. And all and we rehearse over by the Alumni Center at uh, Memorial Stadium. And what that means is all the students have to walk from McCain Auditorium over to uh, Memorial Stadium for rehearsal, you know, three times a week. So uh, Dr. Trace has always talked about his his grand vision. I don't know how serious he was. I would love to see it, uh, putting a band hall there at Memorial Stadium so that you have all of your instruments right there and you can rehearse right there. And uh, Dr. Trace always talks about kids having a give a shitter. Uh, so he would, he always said he would call it the Frank Trace give a shitter band hall. And if it's ever called anything but that, I'll be disappointed. I love it. I love it. So before we get into it, I talked about it earlier. Because the state of Kansas and Missouri can't get their shit together, we are partnered with Bet Online. The NBA playoffs are kicking off or all in on the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. And guess what? If you love UFC MMA, you can bet on it there. Before the next pitch or before your team steps on the pitch, Get over to Bet Online. You can use your laptop, mobile device, or tablet. You can get all sorts of great sports news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game. Bet Online, your online sports book expert. And before you and I start exploiting the beef that we have, I want to talk about KansasCitySteaks.com. If you use promo code SD at checkout, you're going to get 10% off and free shipping on your entire order. This weekend, I'm not kidding you, I cooked up the best all beef hot dogs on my grill at my new house. It's a game changer. If you're not a hot dog guy, I challenge you to get over to KansasCitySteaks.com, get their all beef Angus hot dogs. They also have their butter, tender filet mignons, Kansas City strips, and all sorts of specialty cuts. Again, KansasCitySteaks.com, promo code SD for 10% off and free shipping. Okay. 
this is honestly what started it. You challenged me, I think, years ago at this point, once the podcast started, to bring you on and talk about Wildcat March. My disdain for it, your love for it. I do have to give you some credit because after our conversation, you had a great conversation with someone who works at the Sousa Institute to talk about the history of, you know, and it's called Kansas Wildcats. You know, I, I think when they announced it's written by John Philip Sousa, the, I think they say Kansas State Wildcat March, so it's wrong. I get why they wouldn't want to say Kansas Wildcat, whatever. But you talked to him, and I listened to it. It, it was highly entertaining. So once, once our conversation's done, everyone needs to make sure to listen to YouTube's conversation. So I, I first want to get to the thing that I think I have, I, I think if people are to agree with me, this is the point that they agree with me. When it happens, and again, we can de debate where it is in the pregame. And I get, you know, it's sacred. It's been the same since the 90s. It just does not get it going. I, I'm a very patriotic guy and I, and I love K-State. So the two things that get me going more than anything got ceremony of allegiance you know you got the pledge of the allegiance the preamble the national anthem which you guys always do a great job literally i think the, the thing the band does better than anyone else is the national anthem and everything that goes with it. i know some people are anti-national anthem before games and they think case it goes even too far at the pledge i'm not i'm not going to legislate that i think you guys do a great job the fans sing along with it no one's ever performing it i think it's also great in bramwich as well then you get the alma mater. Oh, that just hits me, hits me in my soul. You know, third generation Wildcat. Hail, hail, hail. The, you know, the swang. Everyone knows the words to it. Again, something I think is unique to K-State versus some of the others. Uh, you know, I, I think the only other school where I've ever gone to a away game where fans know it is at KU. And they don't even have an original alma mater. It's a tune that's used by 37 different universities. That's not even hyperbole. Everything's great. Here I am. I'm getting my juices going. Then here's Wildcat March. Just kind of bringing me there. And I, I just think it's, you know, boring. I don't, I don't think it gets the juices going. I have some, I, I have some hypothesis why, why it is, you know, there's no words that again, K-State fans sing the fight song as well. You know, there's incorporation. There's no fan interaction, like the Wabash going back and forth. I think there's a lot of things that go into it, but at the end of the day, it just doesn't resonate with the fans today. I listened to your conversation before we recorded this. I think there's some great insight there, but what is your comeback to people who just say, hey, I don't care if it's John Philip Sousa, it's boring. The John Philip Snoozer. That's what, uh, that's what I've been- Hazen. I think Hazen calls it that. <laughs> what uh, people have called it on twitter.com. Yeah. I think that, um, there's a lot of different things. And, you know, my mind has been opened up to this via our constant perennial arguments about this on Twitter. Um, I think that it is a high honor that uh, K-State has a march written by John Philip Sousa. Uh, John Philip Sousa, not to be confused with Silvio D'Souza, no relation. <laughs> also, uh, time out. we'll get into it. I like the way you, you worded that, by the way. I, I picked up the way you worded how you talked about the march, which, which was good, but continue on. <laughs> no, say more. What are you talking about? Well, no. So, so we'll talk about, you, you said a song, a march that was written by John Philip Sousa. You didn't say what is very often incorrectly said. It was written for K-State by John Philip Sousa. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, you're good. You'll have to listen to the, uh, the, the conversation I had, uh, with an, an actual Scott that knows what he's talking about. Um, but, he didn't say uh, anything, by the way, he didn't say anything that disputes my point. It wasn't even written for us again. Yes. Cool. We got it, but it was not written for us. But what you're, what you're not understanding Scott is that happened all the time for yes, a ton of but, organizations. So, we are one of only seven, seven. or, yeah, or yeah. a, one of only seven or eight universities, depending on how you count it, uh, Minnesota has this weird thing, uh, but seven or eight universities that have a Susan March written for us. It was dedicated to dedicated us. Dedicated to us. Dedicated to us. Nebraska, also one of the schools that has a, uh, a Susan March, uh, originally called the Cornhuskers, and then the name was changed to uh, the University of Nebraska March or something. So way more boring than so at least our state like named cool is Kansas yeah. Wildcats March. And, and again, I, I'm not I'm not disputing that. If you're giving me the option of having a song dedicated to us by the preeminent you know best American composer of all time, I'll take it. But but it, it is also not only the best though. composer, not only, I wouldn't say he's the, I mean, you could say Aaron Copeland's one of the best American composers, uh, but I would say not a, he's the March King. So one of the best March composers yes. uh, in American history, but you could make the argument that not only is he the best March composer in American history, he's the most successful American musician of all time, given the longevity and durability yep. of the music he writes and, and how often it is still referenced and played in the United States. And, and, and yes, and, and again, I like some of his marches uh, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of circle back to, I just think this one for, for again, for my taste, where it is, I think it, it just kind of boring, especially when it's that, that ramp up. I think anything that happens after the national anthem all has to have real purpose and it just doesn't seem to have that it, it just doesn't slap for me as the kids like to say hmm. yeah i guess i just don't really like alma alma mater is not really all that slappy either but it has a purpose yeah. you know it, it's like okay here's the song that the anyone who has you know gone to k-state can rally behind it it's the communal thing of you know the swaying back and forth it's the feeling you know my my, my children should swallow the cry I think it is you know that that family aspect that that you know tradition behind it it, it has that feel again does it slap does it make you want to run through a wall no but I think it feeds a purpose uh in the ramp up to the game so I am more interested uh in having this conversation, I am obviously uh, never going to accept that we should get rid of Wildcat March from so the you're pregame lineup. That's boring. Okay, win for me. Uh, no, I I think that there are some ways we can juice it up, make it more exciting, and you'll hear later in my interview um, with uh, Scott Schwartz, who is the uh, professor Scott Scott Schwartz, uh, an archivist from the and. He's an archivist for music and fine arts at the University of Illinois, and also the director of the Sousa Archives and the Center for American Music. Interesting guy. Had a great conversation with him. Highly um, entertaining. Anyone who's thinking about clicking off should. It, it is very entertaining. Yeah. He took some time to talk to me about it. I figured that uh, instead of me just uh, reiterating some of the history I've already put out there on social media, I'd actually get it from the, the expert himself. Um, he, he gives some uh, some ways that we could juice it up. I think there are some, I mean, I've seen like, I think Hazen recommended we do a chant or something for Wildcat March or, you know, I think that there are some ways we could 
we could juice it up. I'm open to it. I'm open to innovation. Like I said, the one thing I'm the most open to is making our fans more weird. Like I'm totally in support of that. Um, I think there are some ways we could really like add to the way the band performs the Wildcat March. Maybe some of the ways, uh, as Scott suggested in this interview, uh, the way it's conducted with the way the drum majors do something strange or different or unique, they could really add to it. You know, we could have some kind of tradition uh, that would eventually have the notoriety of those of like Ohio state or, you know, other major marching band programs that are known nationally just for whatever they are. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that that could definitely spice it up. You know, if, if, you know, all of a sudden one of the drum majors just did it in weird costume or they did something wacky to it. I think it'd be fun. Um, one thing I'll, I will say, well, let's get a little, let, let's be careful with the chant otherwise, or any sort of chance to go with it. Otherwise I might get what I want, which it's gone um, because at Iowa state, I don't know what the March is. There's some stupid March. And again, not nearly as good. The Iowa state band is trash. But their students just like sing along to a tune, just going, we don't know the fucking words to this song. I don't have the tune, pitch, or cadence of that right, but it's basically that, and they just sing it through that entire song. So I would say for, for folks that like Wildcat March, be, be careful what you wish for, because then I might be getting my ultimate dream, which is it going away. But which again, I, I say in jest, you know, I, I, you know, I say it in jest, but here, here's my question to you, and you might have a better reasoning for it. Why is it positioned there in the pregame show? Because in my ideal world, if someone's saying to me, Scott, you're going to do whatever you want to the band, but you can't get rid of that song. You come on to Wildcat Victory, then you go into Wildcat March before, you know, all, all the patriotic stuff, all, alma mater, Wabash, uh, before any of that. Why is it right there in the performance? I actually do not have a good answer for you on that other than... Um my my supposition is that's the way it's always been uh you know this kind of stuff just it happens this way and then it, it's reluctant to change unless of course it's the emos set in pregame in which case that gets ripped away from you after your freshman year but uh it sometimes comes back like on occasion i feel like i've seen it in the last handful of years yeah i i, I don't really know what's going on there but it feels like it has been like uh, kind of uh you know sprinkled across pregames sometimes I, but uh not really sure if it's still a, if it's a mainstay anymore but um i i my guess is that's just the way it's always been and i'm going to also put a plug in here for your something i've said to you offline you need to get dr trace on the podcast uh, i don't know if he'll do it before he retires but as soon as he retires or puts that announcement out there you gotta get him on the podcast okay i, I will and i'll ask him if he knows why he creates such a cult-like following Okay, so uh, we don't know why it's there. Would you, as someone who, you are a band person, you, you do enjoy the tradition, would you be open to sing it move? Or are you kind of like, all right, if we're going to change it, let's, let's get weirder with it. Let's get wacky with it. Let's make it a little bit more original and keep it where it is. Well, knowing that people with subpar musical taste, such as yourself, are never going to be really happy with where it is, um, I would be open to moving it. I just don't think that would please people. So I'm I'm open to both options. I think we could move it somewhere else in the pregame lineup to wherever it would feel like it was 
uh, less of a, a snoozer. I, I use that. I don't, I don't really mean that. I don't feel that way, but uh, less of a snoozer and, or I think we could really spice it up, add some uh, different layers to it to make it really kind of a weird tradition that K-State has. Definitely. All right. Well, that's our back and forth. I, I think that the one thing we will agree to disagree on forever is Wildcat March. Um, I, I want everyone to listen because, because it really is a great conversation. Um, I, I don't think, I, I don't, and also, I'll also say this. I think that the Wildcat March debate has kind of turned into a meme of sorts because I, I think, and I'll be honest with you, I like to poke fun. It, it does not affect me. I, you know, I, I enjoy the whole pregame stuff. It, it, I'll make the jokes and I'll, I'll tweet it out probably eight to nine times this year, you know, get rid of Wildcat March or, you know, death to Wildcat March is I think what I actually tweet out. But, but again, it, I, I think it's taken on almost a life of its own because now there are people who I, I will see start subtweeting me whenever a Wildcat March debate gets started that I sometimes help get going. And then, also on KC Online, the the, the best uh, premium message board, uh, when, when the band video that that came out uh, that they're moving back, and it, it was a fun video, you know, it's for the band people. It's not for people who don't care about the band. It doesn't matter. But then, of course, anytime the band gets brought up, the, the Wildcat March thing gets brought up. And I think it is mainly people who are now making jokes about making jokes about it. And then some people just don't get it and they get so worked up. So I almost think that it's taken on a life of its own that his just become almost a meme amongst this little corner of K-State, you know, athletics, you know, Twitter, but then sometimes ban people see it and get really mad at me. Uh, I think that uh, sometimes I'll just say to any band kids who are truly mad at Scott about his, uh, on his uh, going ons on twitter.com, you, you need to not take things so seriously. Um, it's all in good fun. We all love K-State. We all want to see the cats win. Um, but uh, you know that I will always be in Scott's mentions uh, 15 minutes before kickoff when uh, the band is out there doing their thing and he's talking trash about Wildcat March. Um, this is just how it's going to be. And Scott and I have joked that we'll be 65 and retired and uh, watching K-State football and whatever the social media of the time is, we'll be, we'll be at it talking about Wildcat March. Yeah, no, I love it. Um... Here's my question to you before we move on to it, um, and I'll, I'll put a link to it in, in the uh, bio. Is there currently an ongoing scholarship fund for the band that we can publicize for anyone who might want to donate to the band? That's a great question. I will look up that information and make sure to get it to you. I feel like uh, it's probably um, accessible uh, in some way online. I'll, I'll make sure to get you a link. Yeah, and I'm sorry, I should have mentioned that before you came on, but but I do think that if if the band is something you enjoy and if you have the means to donate to and you're looking for new ways to donate, um, you know, th throw them a donation. I, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and again, I'm never going to be someone who, to tell people what to do with their money uh, except for spend it on all of our great sponsors. But, but if the band is something you're passionate about, if it's something you enjoy, and you are looking at your, you know, budgeting for donations this year, I'll have the link in the bio. And that, that's something that I think probably KSA as a whole can do a better job is publicizing the different, uh, you know, funds and scholarships that folks can donate to. I know the foundation does a good work and they do a great job with the telethon, but I, I think that KSA can go to the next level, bringing light to some of these specific funds and stuff. So 
We'll, we'll have a link to that in the bio of this episode. We'll tweet it out as well. So I'll just give you the platform before we go to your conversation with Dr. Scott. I think he's a doctor. I don't know. Um, but I'll give you the platform. Tell the boneheads anything you'd like to before we move on to your conversation. Yeah, um, I'd just like to wish everybody, uh, I mean, where this is coming out after, but uh, May 19th is Wildcat March Day, the 90th anniversary of Wildcat March being completed for, uh, at the time, it was Kansas State College of Agriculture and Applied Science, but uh, um, happy Wildcat March Day. Um, I, I I think I should say that uh, um, I think it's just Professor Scott Schwartz. Uh, okay. I don't think he, but Professor Scott Schwartz. <laughs> I think I just say that, uh, um, you know, he kind of went pretty hard at the end there. So I don't think he really needs this, but I don't think that like any of the views reflected on this podcast or in that interview with him reflect the actual Sousa archives. Just he was having a conversation with me. Um, pretty cool guy. Uh, and hope everybody listens to it. Um, because I once got in trouble for starting a Save Ema Facebook group when I was a young college student uh, that blew up overnight, got like a thousand people in it. Um, when they took out the Ema set from pregame, I should also say that nothing that I've said in this podcast reflects the views of Dr. Trace or uh, Dr. Wimmer <laughs> or anyone associated with the K-State band at this point in time. Um, I just feel like I'm just going to put that blanket statement out there to cover my ass, but uh, yeah. Love it. All right. Uh, Boneheads, thanks for listening. Like I said, please listen to the conversation. It gives great historic, uh, you know, insight to Kansas Wildcats, the march, the final collegiate march that uh, Mr. Sousa wrote. And a very colorful colorful guy. There's something about people with the first name Scott that uh, get really worked up about us. So, Ross, thank you for coming on. Boneheads, we love you guys. Meet Grant at the Cat Head. And please stay tuned to the conversation because I think it's I, I think it's some of the best stuff I've listened to in a long time. If you could just introduce yourself and say a little bit about what your role is at the Sousa Archives. I am the um, archivist for music and fine arts and the director of the Sousa Archives and Center for American Music. I've been here since 2003. Um, before I came here, I worked at the Smithsonian Institution's National Museum of American History. Um, where I cared for um, the music of Duke Ellington, um, Chad Anderson, Benny Carter, um, and the list goes on and on. Um, so to jump from jazz to Sousa might be a little jarring for some, but um, you know, music is music. Um, although Sousa would clearly argue that jazz is not music. That, that's Mr. Sousa. For people who may not be familiar, can you tell people who John Philip Sousa was? Um, he is the country's first rock star. Um, as a young man, he was a force to, to view. I mean, when you went to a Sousa concert, you went there to watch him on the podium. And it, it, the sounds that he could pull from that ensemble were unlike any other types of sounds that other directors could get. Um, it, it was an extraordinary music ensemble, and an extraordinary um, composer and band leader. Um, so truly, um, a rock star. 
some of us at K-State are really proud that we have a SUSE March. Uh, can you tell me how many different colleges and universities across the United States um, have a SUSE March? Or are, do you know that number? I count that there are only seven university marches written between 22 and 31. If you count the Minnesota March, then it becomes eight. In talking with you, um, I we exchanged emails in 2013 a while ago. I was asking for some uh, history about Kansas Wildcats, um, wondering if you could give us the story, give us the story behind how um, this march in particular ended up being his last university march uh, that he wrote. It's got kind of a story that K-State fans are a little familiar with, and oftentimes there's some, I would say, uh, disgruntlement about the fact that uh, it wasn't initially written for us. It was written for somebody else, and then we had a new name slapped on it. So I'm wondering uh, if you could give us the history there. The Kansas Wildcats, um, written and dedicated in 1931, is the last of the university uh, marches. All right, well, let's back up. Um, you know, Sousa dies in 1932. Uh, you know, he's an old man in 1931 who's still touring. He, he was asked, I can't, he, he would get many, many letters and requests to write marches for community organizations, military organizations, schools, colleges. You know, you look at the correspondence, it seemed like every week he was getting a special request, write a piece for us, you know. Um, And um, a lot of times he would require those organizations, okay, if I write this piece for you, you know, I'm going to expect you to purchase X number of copies of this music to make it worth the effort of of doing this piece, um, and you know, there it became a financial incentive. And you know, as a businessman, I I fully understand that. Um, you you want to get a good return on your effort. Um, the the issue with the uh, the Kansas Wildcats is, you know, which tune was the intended tune? Well, shoot, you know. Yes, we have three distinct marches associated with the Kansas Wildcats. And yes, the um, the piece that is your march had a different name. Um, and in some respects, you know, that particular piece was originally supposed to be for the U.S. Army 2nd Division, which was stationed in Fort Sam Houston. Well, a lot of times, and this this has happened more than once with Susan, where an organization essentially balks at the requirement to buy X number of copies of the music. Um, And when that happens, Susan says, well, you know, I agreed to do this because you were gonna buy 500 copies of the thing. You're not buying the 500 copies, so I'm not making money off of this to cover for my lost time. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna dedicate it to you. I'm gonna go someplace else. Um, 
from my point of view, we've got a situation. I, I have no evidence to suggest that the, um, the Army 2nd Division balked at this kind of arrangement. But my gut tells me there may have been some pushback on the number of copies that Sousa would have required. And so it didn't get dedicated to them. It, instead, it was rededicated specifically for your institution. Now, the Sousa Band does a concert on October 10th, 1928. All right? They play a concert in Manhattan, and the university, it is said, presented um, a, a formal bound request asking him to write this work. So that's that's 1928. So you know, from 28 to 31, that's the formal period where he's trying to meet a request. Um, so for your colleagues, this is well, he never really wrote it for us. It was somebody else's piece, and um, we we got the short straw. Um, you know, my response is well, hell no. Actually, he got the long straw. Okay. You got the march that this group in Texas didn't get, all right? Um, from my point of view, I, I, you guys got a great piece. I mean, and you're right, the, the, the tuba part is a hoot. I mean, um, all of this to say that um, you have the last of the Sousa University marches and a great Tune, really just a wonderful piece um and um you should embrace it what is his lasting american legacy and why should people still appreciate his music uh even though um things have just changed so much yeah i you know, so what is his lasting legacy um i think maybe his lasting legacy is essentially the fact that high heart can be um performed with a wind band, wind ensemble. Um, it doesn't require just a symphonic orchestra. Um, and I think that high art music should be made available to folks regardless of where they lived. If you look at the tours, um, Sousa made every effort to perform in small town America, bringing high art to these communities where large orchestras refuse. Yeah. What is uh, the one thing you would say to K-State fans who uh, might find Kansas Wildcats March uh, a, a little boring or they don't appreciate it where it falls in our pregame lineup for our football games at home. And um, some of the criticism is that it doesn't really get the crowd pumped up. What would, what's one thing you would say to those fans? All right. Well, uh, the first thing I would say, vary the performance style and draw out the unique features of that March as Susan intended it. Don't play it like a damn high school. If you're going to do that, shit, you're killing the march. Okay? My first um, argument would be, I, is the director seeing unique features in that march 
in drawing them out? And more importantly, is he varying the repeats of sections in ways that get the audience's attention? You're going to play the repeat exactly the same way twice. Why the fuck does anyone need to listen to the second version? Right? And as such, you're going to bore the, sh you're going to bore the shit out of the audience. Um, and more importantly, if you want to make the march, and it's an exciting march, all right? Find features in it that the director and the bandsman can bring out. I mean, Sousa's conducting technique would raise eyebrows for any conducting teacher, but nevertheless, people went to the concert because they wanted to see the antics on the podium. What can you do to bring out those unique features that gets the audience's attention? Um, if you don't do that, then it's just another boring Sousa march that you hear in middle school and high school. And it's always a sign, Sousa march, end of concert, we go out and get ice cream, right? And um, if, you know, my argument, the tuba line's great, man. That dogfight, shit. Do something with the, you know, the Sousa line, man. I did God. So um, Dr. Frank Trace, a K-State band director, is about as close to a K-State saint as there is. So I'm going to give him, if I get any pushback on that, I'm going to send emails your way, Scott, on that one. Uh, but uh, I think that K-State fans are looking for ways to pump up the song and and to add character to it. So I don't think that your feedback is off. Uh, I just think uh, it would be funny to see what people think about that response.
Social Podcast Network.